Well, good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am most commonly known as Doug's wife. I once went to a party where we were asked to wear two name tags. One was for our name, and the other was for a name we'd like to be called. So the one with my name said Doug's wife, and the one with a name I'd like to be called said Linda. But I believe now I've come to the point where I'm known as Linda, Doug's wife. <laughs> so that's a step up. Anyway, when I was asked to speak this morning, I started asking the Lord what He wanted me to speak about. And as clear as a bell, the word gospel came into my mind and into my heart. Jake and Paul have done a great job the last couple of weeks introducing this subject, but today we're going to just take a, a bit of a deeper look into what in the world the gospel really is. It's a word many of us have heard all of our lives and are almost too comfortable with. For others, it's an uncomfortable word that brings up the connotation of hell, fire, and brimstone and a Bible being thumped upon somebody's head. Clarity is needed for both of these groups of people. For those of us who've heard it all of our lives and are a little bit too comfortable with the word gospel, we need a wake-up call and a reminder of the truth of the gospel. For those of us who are uncomfortable with the word gospel, we likewise need to understand exactly what is meant by this amazing word. I love acrostics. What's an acrostic, you may well ask? Well, it's basically when you take a word and create a new word or a phrase for each letter of that word in order to define the initial word. One of the most common acrostics in Christian circles is the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. When I did a Google search for an acrostic for the word gospel, here's what I found. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. So if anybody ever asks you to explain the gospel, you can remember this simple acrostic. But for this morning, let's dig a bit deeper and discover more about each phrase. God created us to be with him. Psalm 100, verse 3. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Way back in Genesis, we learned that after God had finished creating the heavens and earth and all the animals, he chose to create Adam and Eve. After he had created the heavens and earth and all the animals, he could have left it alone and enjoyed his creation in peace and quiet without the complications of mankind. But instead, he desired to create human beings in his image so that we could have fellowship with him and also have a relationship with him. Now, being omniscient or all-knowing, he knew what lay ahead, but he still chose to create Adam and Eve. In the same way, he has created each one of us. He created you and me to be in fellowship with him and to have a relationship with him. Now again, he knew it lay ahead for us. He knew whether or not we were going to choose to be in relationship with him and have fellowship with him. 
And even after we've chosen to be in relationship with him, he knew we were going to mess up. That's where grace is needed. Jerry Bridges, a well-known Christian author, says, Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Our sins separate us from God. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. In Genesis 3, we read about one act that tainted and put a black mark on history. You all likely know the story in Genesis 3 when Satan tempts Eve to eat from the forbidden fruit, who then in turn tempts Adam to do the same. In this one act of disobedience, Adam and Eve were filled with shame and became aware of having sinned. Instead of walking in the garden with God as they normally did, they were hiding from him in the garden. Genesis 3.8 says, Toward evening they heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. That fellowship and relationship with God was broken. When you and I began our relationship with God, it was like we were walking with God in the garden. We were born again and a right standing with the Father. We had no shame and no need to hide. But being human, just like Adam and Eve, we still sin, which puts a rift in our relationship with God. He still loves us, and we're still his children. But shame enters in, and in essence, we feel the need to hide. There's a portion of Scripture in Job chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, which spoke volumes to me when I was a young believer. I'll never forget it. Job was in the midst of terrible things happening to him, Things unimaginable. In his distress, he cries out the following words, God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. Doesn't this describe the way we feel when we're trying to live life in our own strength? It describes the way a person feels when they're finally realizing their need for a savior. The mediator Job was so desperate for is Jesus Christ, and we can speak to him without fear. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds, Ephesians 8 to 8. God saved you by his special favor when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. In Genesis 4, we read about man's attempt to remove the stain of sin by doing good deeds. I don't know if anyone really understands why God accepted Abel's sacrifice of an animal and not Cain's sacrifice of produce. Up until this point in Genesis, I don't see any mention of requirements for sacrifices. In the Life Application Bible commentary, this is what's said about Cain and Abel and their sacrifices. Quote, The Bible does not say why God did not accept Cain's sacrifice. Perhaps Cain's attitude was improper, or perhaps his offering was not up to God's standards. Proverbs 21:27 says, God loathes the sacrifice of an evil person, especially when it's brought with ulterior motives. God evaluates both our motives and the quality of what we offer him. When we give to God and to others, we should have a joyful heart 
because of what we're able to give. End of quote. One thing that's clear in the case of Cain and Abel is that Cain had a choice when God rejected his sacrifice. He could have chosen right then and there to learn from this experience just what type of sacrifice God was looking for. When he realized this, he could have gone and found an animal and sacrificed it. Instead, he chose to become angry and jealous and killed his brother. If we look closely, I wonder if God saw that Cain's heart was already sinful and it truly was his heart attitude and not his actual choice of sacrifice that God disapproved of. Right now, there seems to be a common belief circulating in Christian circles that if we're good enough, do the right things, say the right words, then we're okay with God. But as author Chip Ingram says, our to-be list is more important than our to-do list. God is much more interested in who we are than in what we do. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Romans 5.8 But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Notice that this verse does not say, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us after we had become good people. He died for us while we were still sinners. We did not do a thing to earn this forgiveness, and we cannot do a thing to keep this forgiveness. Oh, there are many times when we need forgiveness. That's why 1 John 1, 9 was written. It wasn't written to people who don't have a relationship with God. It was written to people who do have a relationship with God. And for this reason, we know that once we have accepted Jesus' sacrifice for sin, we're still going to struggle with it. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. The Life Application Commentary notes on this verse, verse are worth sharing with you as well. So another quote. Confession is supposed to free us to enjoy fellowship with Christ. It should ease our consciences and lighten our cares. But some Christians do not understand how it works. They feel so guilty that they confess the same sins over and over and over again. And then they wonder if they might have forgotten something. Other Christians believe that God forgives them when they confess, but if they died with unconfessed sins, they would, not, they would be lost forever. These Christians don't understand what, that God wants to forgive us. He allowed his beloved son to die just so he could offer us pardon. When we come to Christ, he forgives all the sins we have ever committed or ever will commit. We don't need to confess the sins of the past all over again, and we don't need to fear God is going to reject us if we don't keep our slate perfectly clean. Of course, we should continue to confess our sins, but not because failure to do so will make us lose our salvation. Our relationship with Christ is secure. Instead, we should confess so that we can enjoy maximum fellowship and joy with him. End of quote. And I might add that along with confession comes repentance and a desire not to be repeat offenders. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, Well then, should we just keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Everyone who trusts in him has eternal life. John three sixteen. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. This, of course, is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. It pretty well sums up the gospel message. Along with this verse comes an image of a cross, one of the most recognizable symbols in the world. People wear crosses around their necks. People hang them in their homes. They're on top of churches. They're even used to mark graves. If we trust in the symbol alone, we miss the point. But if we trust in the one who died on the cross, the one who was buried and rose again, we have eternal life. This is the crux of the gospel. If Jesus had not died and risen, there would be no gospel. In some versions of the Bible, the word gospel has been interpreted good news. So if it weren't for Jesus' death and resurrection, there would be no good news. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. John 10, 28, and 29. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else, so no one can take them from me. I love this verse. I love that life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Some people view salvation as a get-out-of-jail-free card. They discover that, that they need to repent of their sins and ask Jesus to come into their life. But this is really just the beginning and not a means to an end. John 10.10b says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Eternal life is all-encompassing. Yes, those of us who have accepted God into our lives will desire to live our lives now, loving and serving him not only as our Savior but as our Lord. You know, we can have an academic knowledge of the gospel, but one of the most meaningful evidences of living out the gospel is in how we love others. Galatians 5.6 in the message reads, For in Christ neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. And 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, No matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Personally, as I was preparing for this morning, these verses in particular spoke to me in a new way. I've been a Christian since I was nine years old. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to Christian college. I was a missionary in Bolivia for a year and a half. I owned and ran a Christian bookstore. And I've spoken in dozens of places about the Christian life about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in the one place where I have not been demonstrating love is in my own home. So according to 1 Corinthians 13:3, I have been bankrupt. Even though I had said I had been even though I had been saying the right things, believing the right things and doing the right things, my lack of love in my home made all of these things meaningless. Nearly 5 years ago, shortly after our last child was married, Doug's older brother, Jimmy, moved into our home. Jimmy has Asperger's syndrome, Parkinson's disease, and Bear's esophagus, 
as well as a myriad of other problems. You've probably heard it said that it's easy to love the lovable, but not so easy to do with the unlovable. Well, Jimmy is one of these unlovables. He is socially and emotionally handicapped and just plain odd. I have resented him being in my home and in my life. This is in no way an indication of a life lived in love. There have been times when I have not been able to speak to him, let alone look at him. So in preparing for today, the Lord has once again graciously spoken into my heart and convicted me of my sin and not being kind or gracious to Jimmy. One thing about Asperger's syndrome is that someone who has it never changes. So if they're always the same, this reason I know that if I'm okay with him one day and not the next, it's not him who's changed. It's me and my heart. I can see that it's a daily choice to love Jimmy. And this is a love that I cannot muster up on my own. It's going to have to be a love that can only come from the Lord. I desire to be able to be known as a woman of God who lives her life in the truth of the gospel, one who is known by love for God and for people. This is easy to do with most people, and I might even start to think well of myself. My wake-up call is every time I'm confronted with the reality of Jimmy being in my life. That's where the proverbial rubber hits the road. No matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I am bankrupt without love. And I don't want to be bankrupt. I want to live a life of love. Christina is going to play a song now for us by Ryan Stevenson, which is appropriately called The Gospel. The part that stood out for me the most in this song was, In my life it means forgiveness when I know I deserve the fall. It called me out of my darkness and carried me to the cross. In a moment my eyes were opened. In that moment my heart was changed. So please listen to me with me now as Christina plays this song. We're turning over every stone Hoping to find salvation In a world that's left us cold Can we get back to the altar Back to the arms of our first love There's only one way to the Father And He's calling out to us To the captive it looks like freedom To the orphan it feels like home
lives, but that he's already received us into his. In my own life, it means forgiveness when I know I deserve the fall. It called me out of my darkness and carried me to the cross. In a moment, my eyes were open. In that moment, my heart was changed. Like a blinding light in the dead of night. It's the gospel. Oh, in the captive, it looks like freedom. To the orphan, it feels like home. Yeah, in the skeptic, it might sound that song. <laughs> I don't know where you are in regard to the gospel. Maybe you have a solid grasp of what the gospel is and are living out it out in a life of love. Be bold and share it with someone who hasn't yet received it. Maybe you understand the gospel and have received Jesus Christ into your life, but like me, struggle with living with it in, in it with, in every area of your life. Ask the Lord to help you day by day, moment by moment, to live it out loud. Maybe the gospel is new to you. You've never really understood its message before and don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Ask the person who brought you here this morning more about it, or ask Jake, or ask me, or anybody else here at OVV. Wherever you are in your journey, I pray that you will leave here this morning with a fresh appreciation of the power of the gospel. It's not just theory. It's life-giving and life-changing, and it's available to all of us, all of us who will receive it as God's gift. In John 1.14, we read that Christ became a human being and lived here on earth among us and was full of loving forgiveness and truth. And some of us have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of the Heavenly Father. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are his representatives here on earth. Just as it takes intimacy and to live in a healthy family unit, it also takes intimacy to live in a healthy relationship with Him. The choice is ours. As we draw close to the Lord, our lives will be a reflection of Him to those in whom we have contact. So thank you for being here this morning. And every time you see the cross, whether it's on a chain around someone's neck or on top of a church, May you be reminded of what that emblem stands for, the power of the gospel. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose. Everyone who trusts in him has eternal life. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Thank you so much. Good morning. <laughs>